afterwards, I was destroyed. I was like shivering with this fever in the bathtub and I couldn't get out because I ordered DoorDash Tylenol because I didn't have any. And so I'm fevering sitting in like a boiling hot tub and know that I have to stand up and get out and go get the Tylenol that's at the front door. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Megan. I am a mother of two with my Montessori training in lower elementary, ages six to nine. And I'm currently working on my primary training, ages three to six. I am here with Laura, mother of two, with her Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, ages six through 12. And Rachel, mother of two, with her Montessori training in infant toddler, which is birth through three years old. So let's start by catching up. How has everyone been? Rachel, let's start with you. The weather has been so nice. We've been outside. We've done a lot of like food prep fun this week. We made orangeade. That was fun. My toddler wanted to make lemonade and I was like, uh, we have a lot more oranges than lemons. And we made orangeade. And I remember like as a child, I would go get orangeade at like this little place. What is orangeade? I'm sorry. Yes. Wait, can we just stop? Before you even take me down memory lane, what are you saying orange juice right now to me? Or is there actually something called orangeade? I think you can buy orangeade in the store. It's like, I guess, homemade orange juice, but I call it orangeade. I don't know. <laughs> is this a Southern thing? It's probably a Southern thing. Because I have never heard of this. You're like, orange aid. I was like, are you making like Gatorade with like electrolytes? Like you're putting salt. No, it's literally just like lemonade, but I use oranges. So I did oranges, sugar, water, probably all, I guess, orange juice. So it's orange juice. I guess you don't always add sugar to orange juice, but you definitely add it to lemonade. Maybe that's what makes the aid part. It's maybe the fruit. (laughs) With the A-D-E or A-I-T? <laughs> okay. Now that we've completely derailed poor Rachel's Sharon. I know she's just sharing about her beautiful like spring days. She's like, and then as a child and we're like, stop it right now. What are you saying to me? Orangeade? <laughs> it's really a pharmacy. It's like a diner, I guess, too. They have like, and they only make grilled cheese, egg salad sandwich. My mom always got a chef salad and then they had orangeades. And they would like juice the orange like right there and put the sugar and water in and like the Chick-fil-A crushed ice right in downtown where I grew up in this little tiny quaint town that nobody knows about. But anyways, that was fun. And he doesn't like orange juice like from, well, I don't give him orange juice, honestly, but he doesn't really like orange juice from the fridge. But he liked that. So that was my fun experience. And then today was just a lot of wrangling, but (laughs) it's been a good week. Megan, your week has not been so good. 
We apologize for that. Yes. No, my week has not been as quaint as yours. We've all been sick and I'm solo parenting, which is just, it's a crime against humanity. It should be illegal for parents to get sick. There should just be a time of your life where you're just immune to sickness because you have to take care of other people. And there's nothing worse than like being up in the middle of the night, taking care of other little people while you also feel like trash. But I've already complained a lot to both of you off air. So I will not to do that to all of you <laughs> listening. But this morning I wasn't feeling well. And so my father-in-law took my son to school and my daughter still wasn't feeling 100%. So she stayed home with me. And when my son went to school, I was like, okay, I have to get back in bed. I am not feeling well. And so my daughter was like, okay. <laughs> so she sat in bed with me and we laid down and I was like, maybe she'll go back to sleep because she's not feeling great either. And I woke up and she had a bag of mini chocolate chips, a carton of strawberries, her tablet, and was just sitting there chilling eating her chocolate and her strawberries <laughs> and watching her show, like not making a peep. And I was so proud. I mean, of course, there were chocolate chips just melted into my bed sheet, which we were actually just sleeping on the mattress protector at this point because that's what's happening. And, and I just, I was so proud that she just had one, the confidence and like the know-how around the kitchen to be able to independently take care of her own needs. And I know like maybe someone out there is like, oh my gosh, you just let her go off and like, who knows what she would have done. And I just, one, I trust her. I really do. And also, you know, our environment is set up. There's nothing that's, she can't reach the knives or anything like that. But I mean, of course, even that, She's handled knives before. She knows what the blade is. She knows how to hold them. She knows how to put them away. So anyway, I was one, really proud of her and two, really proud of myself of like this work that we do is really hard in the moment, but then I can like see this glimmer of hope of like one day she's going to like wake up and make herself breakfast. Hopefully she makes <laughs> a better choice than chocolate, but you know. I choose chocolate sometimes too. Who doesn't love chocolate in the morning? Living her best life. That the perfect pair. I mean, you know. Chocolate and strawberries? <laughs> I'd seen this video this week and it was this mom who was saying like, take care of yourself. That was her message to other moms. Like, take care of yourself. You can take a shower and your kids can wait outside the door and entertain themselves. You know, she had like some toys in the sink and, and her baby in a little swing and she was like, it's okay to let them watch you take care of yourself. And the comments, I'm having a problem. I need to stop looking at the comments of these videos. It's just a dark place to go. But anyways, I did it. By the time I'm jumping out every time to get them to stop putting things in the toilet or pulling things out of the cabinet, that it's not worth it. And so I was just thinking about today of like, it is worth it. It is worth it to teach them and trust them and also prepare, of course. You know, if your bathroom is prepared for that, there's not as much damage they can do. It's messy. I'm going to have to wash my sheets of chocolate. But the lesson and the confidence that comes from her being able to meet her own needs without me is huge. So that's my little positive twist on our illness this week. That is. That's like the perfect positive twist. I love it. Such a Megan thing to do to just smile blindly in the face of just like the worst 
luck ever. All right, well, I will just share probably my biggest victory, maybe in life so far, let alone this week, is that let me show you guys these two monitors with two sleeping children on them. Look at that. Neither of them are on my body or need my body for hopefully as much as one to three hours. Who knows? Who knows? That's like the biggest win you can have right now in your life. I'm just floating on clouds right now with that parental accomplishment. And of course, I'm talking a big game now. By the next time we record, it'll be like just screaming in the background and no one will be sleeping. But tonight I am winning, friends. So there's that. Now, my other big thing that I'm very excited and very nervous about right now is that we are tomorrow morning attending my first ever bar mitzvah. I have a previous student who is making his bar mitzvah tomorrow morning and I have never been to one before. This is like very exciting. This is such a huge rite of passage. It's so important. It's such like this beautiful thing. I just am like fascinated by the whole Jewish religion. I think it's so beautiful and just so interesting and so ancient. And I'm just like so excited about tomorrow. And I'm also so nervous because I'm like Googling madly what to expect, how to dress, what to get, what, you know, what do I say? What do I do? I'm bringing two children. Is that a bad idea? The like part in the synagogue, the whole ritual part is two or three hours long, guys. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I hope that we can find a seat near the exit and just excuse ourselves quietly if need be. Yeah, I'm just like all a flutter about this cultural experience. Not to always bring it back to Montessori, but like, what is this podcast? It's in the name. What a perfect example of our human tendency for orientation you know, for you as an adult, a lot of things are not new. And we don't have that feeling that children always have with everything being new and that we are kind of desensitized to that, that they need to be prepped of what they're going to see. And you need it as an adult too. And I have been thinking how jealous I am of my kids that they're going to get to experience this cool thing and see this other part of this other culture way before I ever did. So I'm really glad that the parents of my former student are cool with kids attending and me bringing my family because I think, you know, for my three-year-old, obviously it's going to be long. There's going to be parts that are a little bit rough, but for the parts where she is engaged and observing and experiencing it and soaking it all in, I think it's so cool that she's going to get to see it firsthand and not just like have read about it in books or seen it in TV. Like I have up through this advanced age of life. So yeah, just very cool. Very excited about that. Well, I hope you guys have an amazing time and that you have a very clear (laughs) exit path. We wish you luck. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Are you tired of the same old boring puzzles? Mix things up with Wongo Puzzles. Each puzzle is a custom design with intricate patterns and whimsical shapes that will keep you engaged for hours. Plus, their eco-friendly materials and commitment to sustainability make Wongo Puzzles a guilt-free way to unwind. They are 100% wooden puzzles. They'll last forever. Each piece is a hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same, and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. They have a really cool animal bundle that is so beautifully crafted. With stunning designs and unique shapes, Wongo puzzles are cut above the rest. I love doing the snow globe puzzle myself. It was great to pull out a puzzle 
and be done in a night and not have to leave it on the table for a week. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code Montessori Moms to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to W-O-N-G-O puzzles.com and use the code Montessori Moms to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. Do it. So we are going to jump into today's topic, language, through the Montessori philosophy. We are going to start with infant-toddler, and then our next full episode, we will be jumping into language for primaries. We're going to break this up kind of in sections, first philosophy, classroom, and then home. So let's start with what Maria actually believed. Montessori believed that children are born with what they need to develop language. We know that from birth, children are absorbing everything around them and in their environment. She believed as children were absorbing language, it was unconsciously shaping their brains and they were beginning to map out language patterns by simply watching and listening to everyone in their world talk to them and talk around them. If you listen to our previous episode, Absorbent Mind, we kind of hit on the Absorbent Mind So you've already heard kind of a blip of that, but Montessori said the child must create his interior life before he can express anything. He must take spontaneously from the external world constructive material in order to compose. He must exercise his intelligence fully before he can be ready to find the logical connection between things. We ought to offer the child that which is necessary for his internal life and leave him free to produce. So after reading the quote and looking through my notes in my album, I had this quote in my album and I had to read it many times, really means that she believed children learn language through a social environment. They learn language socially. They learn language through the environment the child is in really plays a vital role in that language development happening. So when children go through this learning of language, there's a series of stages. So the first stage is called pre-production, and you're going to see that from about zero or birth up through about six months. And that's going to be your cooing, some laughing, possibly babbling, and just sort of like those kind of single syllable sounds that they might start making back at you when you're talking to them or around them. That's stage one. That's pre-production. Stage two is going to be early production. So you might see this from about six months to 12 months. So that is a lot more noticeable babbling, maybe even a few words. It's not too uncommon to have mom and dad or some variation of that. It'd be something that means dog to them, just something that is now becoming reminiscent of words and actually language. Stage three is speech emergence. So from one through three, there's the development of their vocabulary. Now they're just, like we said, absorbing words, words, words. I wish I had the statistic in front of me. I remember learning in one of my... Montessori conferences that birth through three, especially children are acquiring some insane amount of new words every day. I mean, like more than you think. And then as an adult, we acquire like a couple a week, maybe. So it's just they're building their vocabulary up. Stage four is intermediate fluency, which happens from about three to five. And that's going to be covered a lot more in the primary episode or children's house age episode. And then you're going to see advanced fluency, which happens from about five to seven. And that's where you're going to get much more manipulating of sentence structures and how to say things without saying things and just really learning the nuances of language and how to be fluent in your language. So the Montessori classroom prepares the child for literacy. And there are two main factors that support 
this? One, as always, the prepared environment, and two, the guide working in the environment and paying attention to the child and when they seem to be ready for that next piece and how to structure and scaffold the steps towards literacy. Language is all over the Montessori classroom at every single level from, you know, Rachel's toddler room up through Megan and I in lower elementary and the classroom next door, upper elementary and, and beyond that. But for sure, those first couple planes of development. The children are building their fine motor skills using practical life, using art or sensorial materials. And these works and activities are preparing the children's hands for writing. So a lot of times a teacher will tell you instead of giving your child a pencil and showing them how to hold the pencil, give them a very dull needle and have them work on some needlepoint activities or give them little pinchers and have them do transferring works with pincher grips and really building the strength in those fingers rather than worrying about like the form of how to hold something without having worked up that strength. And then each Montessori shelf in the classroom is set up from left to right with the least challenging work on the left and it moves to the most challenging work as you move right. And that is actually because we read in our culture and our language from left to right. So there's actually a very intentional order on the shelves as the lessons progress from left to right. So it's just kind of a cool thing built into the shelf that you might not no, just looking at one. I remember in training when I learned that, I was like, I think my jaw dropped. Like, that makes so much sense. Just everything is so intentional in the prepared environment. It is. So let's talk about some language work you may see in a toddler classroom on the language shelf. Remember when discussing that language is all over the classroom and the teacher is sportscasting in our toddler environments, it's normal to hear the teacher sportscasting a lot because they're kind of helping the children see what's happening in the environment, maybe a snack spilled and a child needs help or support cleaning it up. Oh, I see Jim dropped his goldfish on the ground. Can we help him find a broom? So the youngest who maybe doesn't have the language, that 15 month old is hearing those words and able to then see they're getting Jim the broom and they're cleaning that up. So they're experiencing language all the time in the classroom, but there are specific lessons, works that are put on the language shelf. So an object basket, that's simply just building vocabulary. So I like to play kind of a what's in the basket game. I would say what's in the basket, what's in the basket, what's in the basket, hey, hey, hey. And then I, I name, like we pick up, oh, a cow. And I show them the cow. Also, I want to say really quick, some toddler classrooms may, but I was taught in training, you don't really do the three period lesson and unless like that, there's a very, very old toddler who's fully ready for that. I'm not doing full three period lessons with toddlers in the environment. And I think it depends who your trainer is, depending upon what they tell you. But I was trained under a trainer who advised us to not do that until the child is like the older three. Megan, I don't know if you have anything to share on that when we uh, just in case anyone's not familiar with what a three period lesson is, it is a way that we teach vocabulary in a Montessori environment. And so there are three periods to this lesson. The first is to name whatever it is you're showing. So if she's, if Rachel's showing objects, which she just said that she wouldn't do this in her toddler classroom, but if she was, was to do it, say she had an elephant, a giraffe, and a lion. She would name them. The next period would be, where is? So she would ask, where is the elephant? And the child would point to the elephant. They'd go through it several times. And then the last 
period, the last phase is to ask the child, what is this? And so it's kind of our way of progressing in a really slow and respectful way. It's Of course, it's easier to point to something first than to say it. Actually, really interestingly, in my training, the majority of the people in my cohort are non-native English speakers. And so they made us do three period lessons in the other person's language. And it was really intimidating to have to say and have to repeat a word that you're not familiar with. And so, you know, my trainer was like, let's think about this, how hard it is to replicate a word that you don't know or a word that you've never learned before. So this three period lesson is a really kind of gentle and respectful way to introduce new vocabulary. And to check mastery of a concept, because the idea is the first time you're giving them the word and connecting it to the identifying visual for it, right? So like in your example, there's three different animals. So you're picking up the elephant and telling them this is elephant, this is giraffe, this is lion. And then the second one, you're still giving them the word, but just asking them to do the identifying. So like, which one is the elephant? So you're still giving them the vocabulary because like you said, maybe they don't remember that word right away, but got the concept more or less and they can at least identify it by pointing, like you said, is much less intimidating. And then by that third period, now I'm holding up the thing and asking you to tell me what it is. And if you can do that, you've mastered that concept, that word, that whatever it is. So it's just like you said, a gentler way towards mastery and also a really great way to check that. Right. And we know as the guide, if you get to the third period and they don't know, then we go back. And so it's a way for us to kind of assess. But I thought that was really interesting what you said, because it's easier to have that receptive language or not easier, but it happens first to receive the language than to be able to express it. And so this follows a really logical way. We say what it is, we ask where it is, and then we ask them to finally express, which comes last. Yeah, so with an object basket in the toddler classroom, I get the cow out, I see the cow, look at the cow, and we talk about the cow maybe. I get the sheep out, I get all the animals out, we can talk about them. And maybe I know that child is already familiar, like I know, I've heard them read a book and say cow, sheep, and so I know the familiars. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It's okay. You know what? We are all trying really hard not to have our children be audible, but we've said this a thousand times. This is a very real mom project. I hear one of Megan's kids was hacking up some kind of pestilence earlier when she was sharing. Now we've got your child happily singing the name of the farm animals that you're talking about right now. He just wants to participate in this lesson, obviously. So sorry, everybody, but we are real moms. That's because the vibe that we put out is that we're in a professional studio and that we are all paid for this and that we have a production team. But funny enough, <laughs> none of this is true. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> all lies, lies, lies. But maybe if I knew that child was very familiar with those animals, then I'd say, okay, can we find? And then I kind of go to that next step. But I'm not formally following that three-period lesson as I would be an older or in that primary classroom. Gotcha. So language cards with real pictures, that's something you may see on a toddler shelf. And that's just another building vocabulary talking about. I know I have right now on our shelf some cards, like just pictures of the weather. So 
what do we see in this picture? I see it raining or what is that? And he said, well, that's a rainbow. So talking about, that's building vocabulary, talking about the images that we're seeing on those cards. And object matching. So this activity helps develop visual discrimination and classification skills. So that is having a basket of farm animals and then making sure you have that pair. So I have two cows, two sheep. They're matching object to object. Object to picture matching. So that again is building visual discrimination and vocabulary are built through matching that activity. So that's just a little bit more challenging. You have the object object, you can fill them both right. Then you add the picture of the object in. That's just a little bit more challenging. It's a different kind of visual discrimination there. And then picture to picture cards are then that's the most challenging on a toddler language shelf, I would say, as far as matching goes. And this helps develop class classification skills and builds vocabulary also. So that's the picture to the picture. I know right now with my toddler, I have picture to picture cards out and we have a magnifying glass so he can like see the details. That was kind of something fun I added in. And it's been really helpful because it's like art matching. It's like art pieces of spring. And some of them do look like really close. So when he has that magnifying glass, that kind of gives him that extra, oh, he can look closely at it, which just kind of adds a fun element. But those are just some basic lessons you would see on a language shelf in a toddler classroom. Something else I also always have is like a phone. It's not an actual phone. It's a, I guess it was PBC pipe and they can hear themselves talk. So when they talk into one end, they can hear themselves. So that's kind of fun for them to have too. So that I typically don't have it on the language shelf. I have it in my like cozy corner area with my books so that if they're reading or looking at pictures or that sort of thing, they have that and they're hearing themselves say the word in a different kind of way because they just hear their voice in that sense, which is fun. So what can we do at home? Megan's going to share that. Okay. So what can we do at home with our toddlers? So one, talk to your child. And I know this seems simple and it is. I was just talking to Rachel and Laura about a study that I found uh, done at MIT, which was in response to the three million word gap. If you were familiar with that study, basically it was saying that by the time a child enters a classroom of like kindergarten, I don't know, I'm botching the study, but that they would have had 30 million more words than a child who came from a family with different education or economic status of their peers. So the peer who has higher economic status and uh, education of their parents was higher would come to school starting their first year with 30 million more words, which is crazy. So the MIT research, they found that actually it was more beneficial for children to take turns speaking with an adult or a child, whoever, whoever they were talking to of I speak, then you speak, then I speak, then you speak, That those conversational turns, that that lit up the brain even more than just being spoken at. And so I just thought that was really interesting. And they kind of took that as like, this is kind of hopeful for us that yes, children who arrive at school might have more words, but that we can prime their brain still for language by just letting them take turns talking. And so I just wanted to say that, yes, we want to talk to them, but we don't want to talk at them all the time. We want to make sure we're taking those conversational turns because it's really, really great for that development of language. And not just talking, but poems, songs, rhymes, finger plays. I just feel like any, I mean, 
communication with your child. Any kind of spoken language is huge in a way to enrich their vocabulary, in a way to support their language development. Rachel talked about sports casting, which is another way to basically just put the words out into the environment for them to be hearing and absorbing. Like I said, reading together, having books always available. You can set up a little area in your house with books that they're drawn to. So you will need to rotate them out and make sure that they're always interesting and exciting and that you're reading them often. I think we've talked about this a little bit. You don't have to constantly be rotating things out, but once they get a little stale, you can put them away and bring out some new books. And you don't have to rotate every single thing either. Like my daughter definitely has some books that we've read so many times the covers are like falling off, but they will stay in rotation because they are just favorites. And then others that we haven't touched in a long time. And so we'll swap them for something else. Yeah, I think we've talked about this a little bit that all three of us are not under the seasonal and thematic rotations, which is cute and fun, of course. And it's nice to have our books reflect what the children are experiencing in their daily life. So if it's spring and the flowers are blooming, we have a book about maybe different types of flowers that they might see. That's fine. But we don't think there's like a timeline of, okay, it's been two weeks, you need to rotate everything out and it needs to match the holidays and whatever. We don't believe that. We think that it's exactly what Laura just said. We're following our children and her daughter's interested in a book. She's going to keep it out. If, if she's interested in everything that she has out for six months, she's going to leave it out for six months. If she's interested in it for a year, she's going to leave it out for a year. She's really going to observe her child. So like Rachel said, language cards with real pictures, object baskets, you can play phone, you can go on a walk and talk about what you hear and see. And that's something that we always want to talk about is that if you're not doing, you know, Montessori, homeschool, there are things you can do without having to print out any kind of card or get any kind of objects. You can just go on a walk and talk about all the things that you see. Do you see this pine straw? It came from a long leaf pine tree. Those are those really big trees. So we can have these like really meaningful conversations about what they see around them without having to have a shelf at all. And we feel pretty strongly about that. We've talked about that often about if you're not homeschooling, that there are a lot of ways that you can implement this philosophy without having stuff on the shelf. Art, of course, there's so much to talk about with art, Play-Doh, painting, watercolors, drawing, stickers, finger painting. Those all build up those fine motor skills for writing later, which we'll talk about a lot when we talk about primary, but we're really building that hand strength and building that wrist strength. And as we refine those skills in primary, we really want, really want strong hands. We want to get them eventually holding a pencil, which I will probably talk about again. But interestingly enough, when I went into training, I realized that I don't hold a pencil properly. I didn't realize that I don't. And probably a result of me holding a pencil too early without having the proper hand strength to do it. And I overcompensated in some way. And I was thinking back to all of those, you know, those like long essays you had to write in those blue books in college in high school and my hand was always so in so much pain and come to find out it's because I don't hold a pencil so it was like extra strain on my hands but yeah I learned that when I started teaching in lower elementary because you know the handwriting piece the language really 
at least at the school that we were at, it really jumps up academically. It becomes much more rigorous. And they are now like writing whole sentences instead of just practicing one letter at a time. And it was paramount that they had the right grip on the pencil because otherwise when you're using like too many fingers and you're holding it not quite the right way, you're using more muscles than you need to. And it's more exhausting than it needs to be. And they fatigue so quickly. And it's already so so effortful to compose an entire sentence, right? You're keeping your thought in your head, you're trying to figure out how to spell it, where the letters go, how they connect to each other if you're writing in cursive, which we were. So yeah, it was a, it's an important thing. It's interesting to think that this, we're starting this in toddlers so far before we ever give them a pencil and start talking about writing, we're thinking about how can we support making their hands stronger so that they don't pull a Megan and not be able to write when they're adults. And finally, using real words. And we want to say, of course, we all, our kids are so cute, especially when they're just little babies and we just want to talk to them like this. And we want to use baby talk, but using real words when speaking to our children is really important. And we talked about with this with Lene, she was like, it's okay. It's fine. You know, those cute words, it's not going to ruin their language, but, you know, try to pair them (laughs) with the actual word or just try to have a nice balance with it and not just speak to them like that. But we do want to make sure that when we're speaking to them, like I said, that we're giving them accurate language because that is really respectful to do. And also that we are showing them how to communicate because they don't know how. So as fun and cute as the baby talk is, and we're not going to throw you in Montessori jail if you do that, but as often as you can speak to them like you would speak to anyone. You know, of course we speak to children a little bit softer and a little bit higher pitch. That's what I want to say is I think there's a distinction between speaking and like that sing-songy Mm-hmm. really, I guess, babyish way in terms of just that you change how your voice sounds or how it hits, right? It's a little bit less adult sound. And you're trying to be interesting. You know, when I just talked about the long leaf pine straw, I wouldn't say that to Laura. I wouldn't be like, this comes from, a-. you know, I wouldn't talk to her like that, but I would talk to a child like that. And so we're not saying that you can't talk to them like they're children. We're saying to use accurate language. But use the real word, yes, instead of being like, this is a pine straw from the pine yeah. tree because that's how they say it, right? Instead of reinforcing that, you can get, you know, kind of whimsical about it, but still use real words, right? I can still say to my infant son, oh, you like the water in the tub? I'm not like, oh, the wawa feels good. You know, like it's a combination. And you're also not like, that's water. It's in your tub. Exactly. I'm also <laughs> like, oh, you seem to be enjoying your bath, sir. <laughs> No, like it's a, you can have that playful Mm -hmm. tone and tune without going overboard silly words. And it helps them to build up their understanding of the world. And that's what we want for them. You know, my daughter, she was watching, there was like the sunlight was coming through the window. And so there's this sunbeam and there's, you know, dust particles that she could see. And and so she was like, oh, it's fairies. And that's just the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. But I do want her to have an accurate picture of what she's seeing because that's also very interesting you know fairies I don't think are as interesting as what we can find in the real world so it's like they're dust particles and they come up from all the things around us and so we can have like a meaningful conversation about our actual world and what she's seeing to help her because I think Laura said last episode that they're new to this world this is their first trip 
around the fishbowl, I think you said, (laughs) which is a phrase I have never heard before. But it stuck with me in that this is fascinating to them and it is going to help support them in how they understand the world around them and feeling confident in the world around them. Yeah, those are the things you can do at home. And we'll talk more about that also in our second part of language into primary. Love it. I think that's a pretty solid rundown of things that you can be doing in the wild to help promote language at the toddler level. So let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. I would say, what do we have to share? Except I know because we agreed in advance of what we're going to share this time. So tiny little bit of backstory as to why this is our agreed topic for today. So by the time this episode comes out, we will have released our first kind of mini episode where we're going to do just like one person is just going to record solo talking about any number of things. It could be just revisiting something we've already talked about that we feel like would be better to unpack or circle back to. Uh, could be what we're struggling with this week, could be a little something that actually helped us through the week that we want to share, because maybe it can help you. It could, you know, it could be a variety of things, right? So we we're really trying to figure out what to call these little mini episodes. And we batted around a couple different ideas. I think we put a question box up and asked listeners for some suggestions. And just we're having a hard time really like being struck by anything. And Megan and Rachel back and forth through voice notes were talking about the idea that it would just be, you know, the vibe is like getting coffee with a parent friend, right? Like sitting down to a coffee and talking about what's going on in your life, asking about something, sharing a success, you know, just that whole vibe, right? So all I could think though, after one of them said sitting down to coffee was coffee talk. And the reason that struck me is that I know that segment name because there was an old SNL skit with Mike Myers, who did this character called like Linda... Linda Richards or Linda Richmond or something. I was supposed to Google it before sitting down to this episode. I did not. Her name was Linda something and she was like super New York and she would sit down to coffee talk with Linda Richards. I feel like you're Googling right now, aren't you, Rachel? It's Linda Richmond. Richmond. Okay. So coffee talk with Linda Richmond and she'd have you come into the studio and she'd be (laughs) ranting about something and then she would have to do something else in the middle of the episode and be like, okay, okay, you people, you're going to talk amongst yourselves. Uh, Pine cones, neither pines nor cones. Discuss. Discuss amongst yourselves. And like chickpeas, neither chicks nor peas. It was always something like that that was neither this nor that. And uh, and then she would go like do whatever she had to do and come back after you had discussed amongst yourselves. And I just, it was a favorite of mine because I was hugely obsessed with SNL for a long, long, long time. So I voice note this back to them. Like, sorry guys, I'm not going to be of any help because all I can think of is coffee talk with Linda Richmond. And obviously like that's taken. And they were like, actually, I kind (laughs) of love that. And I was like, well, I love it. And I'll tell you why I was obsessed with SNL forever. In fact, my first ever email. (laughs) And this is what this is what spurred our topic for tonight. So tonight, we're going to share our first like internet handles. When we were coming of age, the thing was AOL instant messenger. That was your way to chat with somebody there wasn't really text yet, or it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. That was your quick way to like have a clandestine combo with your with your pals from school. And so we are going to share our usernames 
for these these platforms. And I guess I might as well share my first email. Yeah. So my first email was a Yahoo email address and it was live from New York. It's SNL. Well, live from NY, it's SNL because that's how many characters I could fit. I'm surprised that you were able to get that. Yeah. I was just very sure <laughs> that I would someday be on Saturday Night Live. Obviously, any day now I'm going to be picked up and then my dream gotcha. is not dead yet. But that was definitely how I... <laughs> introduced myself to the world of email really underestimated how much emails would be a thing eventually so when I get hired at SNL Lauren Michaels will ask for my email and I will proudly give him this one because it's not creepy at all that from the age of like 12 on I've been plotting this so that was my first email address my first AOL instant messenger handle was way more embarrassing and it's it's funny because Megan in the last episode you talked about how wherever we kind of were raised for the first like six years of our lives becomes like a part of our identity right so I spent a large portion of my childhood very fortunate to live in Vermont but I was born and originally raised in New York so my AOL instant messenger screen name in like I don't know middle school was NYQT <laughs> I knew it was going to be a cutie. Had to be a cutie. And you know what? That mortified me. I actually did not have confidence like that at all. But it was the beginning of like that feeling of on the internet, you could be anyone you want. And all of my female friends were like, (laughs) they're like, you just got to own it, girl. So the more me part of it was the 46 at the end, which is the player's number for Andy Pettit, who was the pitcher of the Yankees, because I was like such a tomboy and not at all a cutie. But um, I just (laughs) tried to lean into it. And I was NYK cutie 46 for a good couple of years a girl that can do both (laughs) I can do it all and then I had another one after that because my follow-up obsession to Saturday Night Live was mob movies (laughs) is that that weird that a young lady was like literally lived for everything that Al Pacino and Robert De Niro ever did there was a mob movie from the 70s 80s or 90s I have seen it and that was something like made man or something which is like a slang for <laughs> someone who's in the mafia I don't I don't remember exactly what it was but had some good ones you were so much cooler than I was yeah seriously you had like much better thematic what so what did you have okay so my first <laughs> my first email was for my we did yahoo messenger where I grew up and it was, it was Ms. M-I-Z. <laughs> I already love it. I already love it. Bond underscore Ooh, 007. B Bond. <laughs> Ask me if I have ever watched a Bond movie. <laughs> so why? What? No, I have why? Not. Still to this day, never seen it. I just think it's funny that you had yours was like all of these things that were like reflective of your life and your aspirations and your career. And mine was just like I just wanted to. Like, you know, it sounds be cool. Wife, if I could be like <laughs> someone yeah. who was awesome, which you did accomplish. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not Bond, but I am Ms. Bond. <laughs> And I kept that email for like an embarrassing amount of time because like you said, like you have to switch everything over, like all my stuff was already in it. But after a while, you get really embarrassed as you go, you know, go to a store or whatever. And they're like, oh, I can send you a discount, whatever. And you're like, what's your email? And you're like, Ms. Bond, (laughs) (laughs) M-I-Z-007. 
Yeah. So that first Yahoo instant messenger. Did not see that coming. <laughs> it Megan. is not. It, it really. Which is your point, I guess. Of, that it is not in any way nowhere, you. <laughs> like, I don't know who. I think it was more of like who I wanted to be. <laughs> Not necessarily. Sure. Like my NY cutie, for example. This is the girl I'd like to be married to someone I think, but couldn't tell you for sure is cool. (laughs) Amazing. Like he had all, I I mean, I, I think so. He, you know, all the Bond girls. But he never like wife's one up, right? So you have to be real special to be Ms. Bond. I was the one. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of your work at all, but we could get married. Maybe that would be the key, right? As I was making it, so I made it when I was eleven. I was making it. I was like, this is this is it. Like this is art. Yeah, yeah. I I really thought I had. I really thought I did something with that. All right, Rachel, it's your turn. Okay, mine was Princess Kate. Oh, one. (laughs) Wait, like like Kate was in Middleton, like the royal, like. (laughs) <laughs> no, my middle name was Caitlin. Oh. So, <laughs> okay. So I liked, I guess I really liked Caitlin at that point and wanted to be called Kate. <laughs> you were going to rebrand by your so, middle name. <laughs> prin- princess Kate. Oh, one though. You got to have the oh, one. Yeah. Well, probably the first princess. Someone else was needed a name. So yeah. you had to be. I had to do oh, to what? Do- <laughs> But I remember it was like a thing, like you wanted to have, you know, now if you're on, you know, any kind of platform, you want it to just be your name or, you know, people pay money to make sure that it's just their name. Back in the day, you wanted to be somebody else. You, how many numbers could you have? How many underscores could you have? How could you make this? How many use a Z instead could of you, S's? Right. Could you put a number in for a letter, for example? Oh, oh that was That's really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what, Megan, you just reminded me, my made men one, it was, the screen name was I love made men. So here you are wanting to marry like a hero spy who like saves his country and is really You're cool. And to I'm marry over here a like, hi, I'll take a dirty gangster who breaks the law and probably kills people. That's what I want to marry into. Movies. <laughs> yeah, okay. At least you knew what you were. Megan's just all for. in, no matter what. <laughs> Megan's like, he likes pretty girls. So obviously, he <laughs> likes me. I'm Princess Kate over there. He won't just like me. He'll marry me. <laughs> Little 11 year old me over here with my braces. <laughs> no, if you don't want me to do it, I want, to do it. <laughs> I want you to want me to do it. Just please, Megan, will you please? <laughs> now she's going to spite do it. Thank you for listening to Montessori. <laughs> I guess. Thank you for listening to Mom's Story Moms in the Wild. (laughs) If you have to. (laughs) Follow us, subscribe, review, and rate if you feel like it. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. <laughs> <laughs>